0: Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor David Eldridge. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent means arrival. And so we want to take the next four weeks to prepare our hearts for the arrival of Jesus. We're all going to prepare for the arrival of of Santa Claus. We're, all, we're good at that. We're going to buy presents. We're going to decorate our house. We'll send out Christmas cards. You've already got your plans for uh, how you're going to spend time with your family and your friends, whatever the, the, the holiday parties are. And all that's, that's great, as long as you don't go into debt or wind up in the hospital from exhaustion. But for the most part, like it's all fine. What we want to focus on, which is easy to miss, is is Jesus and the fact that He has come and He's coming again, and we live in that tension between His first and His second coming. So even as we celebrate the first Christmas, we look forward to Jesus's return. And in that sense, we're just like the people that we read about in the Bible who are waiting on Jesus to come. They don't know. They know there's a promise of a Messiah. They don't know exactly what He's going to look like or exactly when He's going to come back or exactly what they're, what He's going to do. But they know. God's made a promise and he is faithful. And we're, we're the same. We know Jesus is going to return. We don't know exactly what that's going to look like. We don't know exactly when that's going to be, but we know God is faithful. And so we want to have hearts that are ready. So we want to take advantage of this Christmas season. Again, not just preparing in terms of looking back, celebrating Jesus's first coming, but also looking forward to his second. Um, we had a couple of things that we'll do as a church. Uh, Matt mentioned just, a handholds. We don't want to overwhelm our already busy time. You know, there there will be a daily reading plan if that's helpful for you. Uh, We'll send out a weekly devotion through social media if that's something that's helpful for you. And then we'll have services on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Those Christmas Eve ones, we do need you to register. I don't think we'll need to add another one, but we might and we won't know unless you register. And we would hate for people to show up and for there not to be a seat. So if you could do that, particularly register for any of them, but it's those first two where people bring their kids that we can get get pretty full pretty quick. So as soon as you know what service you're, you're planning on coming to, if you could go ahead and register and put down all of the family people that you're bringing just to make sure we got enough space. We're also going to do something uh, in terms of what we're going to be talking about on Sundays. We're going to use the lectionary readings. That's not something that we do. You may or may not know what a lectionary is. It's pre-selected Bible passages that are read on a particular Sunday. You'll see behind me the lectionary readings for today. Uh, Each week in Advent, there's an Isaiah reading, and that's what we're going to talk about on Sunday morning is that Isaiah reading, but there's four. There's an Isaiah, there's a... Psalm, there's a gospel, and there's another passage from the New Testament. You may want to look at those uh, today or this week. They all have the same theme, and you'll be able to trace the thread through that. Again, we're going to focus on Isaiah on Sunday mornings, uh, and we're not necessarily going to dive into all that was going on in during the time of Isaiah's ministry. Just a little bit on him. He was his career as a prophet was incredibly long, at least 59 years, maybe more so like 1963. I mean, that's what we're talking about. Long time that he is in ministry, that he's prophesying. He is sent to the Southern kingdom of Israel. So that's called Judah. The capital is Jerusalem. The kingdom of Judah is a mixed bag. There's the Northern kingdom, 10 tribes, always wicked. They never had a good king. The southern kingdom is much more of a mixed bag. Sometimes they had good kings, sometimes not. Sometimes the people were faithful, sometimes not. And that's who Isaiah was sent to. And again, because his his career was so extensive, 59 years, he spanned the reign of multiple kings, a guy named Uzziah, a guy named Jotham, a guy named Ahaz, and a guy named Hezekiah. Again, we're not gonna necessarily dive into all of that, but if that just helps you maybe peg Isaiah a little bit, we're gonna look at these passage Passages primarily through the lens of Jesus. The, the ones that are chosen for the lectionary reading are Messianic. The church acknowledges and recognizes these passages don't just speak to Isaiah's generation and what was going on in his day. They speak also and maybe even primarily about the Messiah who wouldn't come for 700 years after Isaiah died. That's the, the gap between Isaiah and Jesus, is about 700 years. And the church has acknowledged these passages and say they're actually, whatever they meant in Isaiah's day, and that's good and right and true, they also, and again, maybe even more fundamentally, they're talking about the Messiah who we believe is Jesus. And so that's how we're going to look at these passages through the lens of Jesus and how do these passages help us prepare for his arrival? Again, not just thinking back to his first arrival, but also as we prepare for his second coming whenever that happens to be. So I'm going to reread Isaiah 2. You've already heard it once uh, from Sam and Mia today. Y'all did a great job. And uh, we'll, we'll reread this just to refresh our memories. This is what Isaiah, the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. God will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. God will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, Let us walk in the light of the Lord. And so the first thing you may be thinking is that doesn't seem necessarily messianic because it doesn't talk about a person. It doesn't talk about a king. It doesn't talk about a Messiah. It's talking about a time period, the last days. And that's actually a technical term in the Bible for when God will come and establish his kingdom on the earth, when he will vindicate his people, the righteous, and when he will punish the wicked, his enemies. The last days, again, or or sometimes your Bible will say that day. It doesn't refer to necessarily to a a time on a calendar. It's much more of, it's time from God's perspective. This is the season in which God is doing X, Y, and Z. And the season of the last days is God establishing his kingdom, God vindicating or saving his people, the righteous, and God judging, punishing the wicked. That's what happens in the last days. There's more, but those are the big headings of what's going on in the last days. And so when Isaiah is looking forward and he's seeing in that time, here's what's going to happen. And he gives three elements of the last days. The first he says is God will be seen as supreme over all other gods. And he talks about that in a metaphorical way. He says the mountain of the temple of the Lord will be elevated, will be raised up high above all the other mountains. What's going on? Every nation has its own God. So Israel has a God and the Philistines have a God and the Assyrians have a God and the Babylonians have a God. And all those gods are said to live on mountains because mountains are the highest places. That's closest to heaven. And so to for, for Isaiah to see the mountain where the temple of God is to be elevated above all of the mountains, that's saying God is supreme above all these other gods that live on all those other mountains. God with a capital G, we know his name is Yahweh, the father of Jesus, he's supreme, he's superior above all these little g gods. That's what's gonna happen in the last days. God is gonna show himself to be supreme. He's gonna be exalted above every other God. The second thing Isaiah sees is nations coming to the temple, nations coming to God, and they're coming because they want to learn from him. Come, let's go to the temple of the Lord. These nations are saying these are Gentile people. Come, let's, work, let, let's go to the, the temple of the Lord. Let's, let's let him teach us so that we can follow his ways. We would say that's, that's, a world, that's worldwide conversions. That's these... Gentile peoples who have their own gods, rejecting those gods and saying, the God of the Israelites is better. Yahweh's better. His way of living life is better than the way our gods are telling us to live life. So let's go learn from him. It's not something a Jew would necessarily be thinking of. But that's something Isaiah says, that's gonna happen in the last days. God is gonna be exalted. And in that exaltation, people from from around the world are gonna come to him Because they're gonna wanna follow him. And then again, as a consequence of these people coming to the Lord, you're gonna have whole nations submitting to God. God being the judge, the king of the nations. And that leads to peace. Nobody has to protect themselves and what they have or project themselves and try to grab and grasp and get because God's the king of all the nations. And the nations acknowledge that and they trust God to decide what's best for everybody. And so we don't have to fight about anything anymore because God's, we're all acknowledging God's our king. He's our boss and he decides what each one of us gets. He decides what's best for each one of us. He settles the disputes that we have as nations. We don't have to fight about it anymore. We can just look to him and whatever he says, that's what we're gonna do. It's an amazing picture. God elevated, supreme above all gods. As a result of that, you have people from all over the world, all of these other nations rejecting their God in order to follow Israel's God. Whole nations submitting to him. I, I can't like think about that. Nations submitting to God and saying, you're, you're the king of this nation, whatever you say. And so then there's no more fighting. There's no more war. There's no need for it because we're all trusting God to decide what's best for us. So I don't have to protect myself against you and I also don't have to exert myself against you. I can trust God to settle any disputes that we have. And you may be thinking, I'm not seeing it. If if Jesus is the Messiah, well, he came 2000 years ago, how does this actually play out? One thing to keep in mind and it's easy for us to forget is we are currently living in the last days and we have been for 2000 years. That's easy to forget. Again, it's not necessarily time on a calendar. This is the season in which God is doing X, Y, and Z. And what he's doing is he's establishing his kingdom. He's saving his people and he's judging the wicked. That's what he's doing in this season. And it's what he's been doing for 2000 years because of Jesus, because of Easter, because of Christmas, because of Pentecost, because of Jesus' birth, because of his life, his death, his resurrection, because of his ascension into heaven and his giving of the Holy Spirit to the church, we're living in the last days. You can see it most clearly in Acts chapter two. On the day of Pentecost, when Peter's trying to explain to everybody, here's what you just saw, he quotes from Joel and he says, in the last days, the things that you just saw will happen. That's the time in which we're living. Because of Christmas, Jesus' birth, because of Easter, his death and his resurrection, because of Pentecost, his ascension into heaven and his giving of the Holy Spirit to the church, we're living in the last day. So the things that we read about in Isaiah 2, we should be seeing in our own world. Now we don't see those things fully and completely and that's where the frustration comes for us. What God has done is he separated the first coming and the second coming of Jesus. Jesus instead of saying i'm going to come once and do all of these things he's come he said i'm going to come twice and there's going to be a gap in between the first time i'm going to come as a baby i'm going to come in humility i'm going to come and i'm going to seek and i'm going to save all of those who are lost i'm going to offer salvation to the broken to the blind to those in bondage to those who are dead in their trespasses and sins and when i come again I'm coming on a white horse with a sword, King of Kings and Lord of Lords written on my thigh. And everyone who opposes will be judged. And all of those who have submitted will be saved. He separated those two things. Why? To give us an opportunity to be saved, to give us an opportunity to repent of our sins, to acknowledge our need for a Savior. And we're living in that tension between the first and the second coming of Jesus. And so we see some of the characteristics, some of the elements of the last days, but we don't see them fully, and we don't see them completely, and we won't until Jesus returns. So just, uh, there'll be some verses behind me and there's more. These are, these are just representative. You can think of plenty other ways in which Jesus inaugurates or ushers in the last days. He says things about himself and other writers in the New Testament say things about him that parallel what we read in Isaiah 2. This, this whole idea of of God being exalted as supreme. The father exalts the son. That's what we read in Philippians two. The right hand of God is the preeminent place in all of the universe. You can't get higher than that. And the father has placed the son Jesus in that spot at his right hand. And he's exalting him above all other gods. Read Colossians one, read Hebrews one and two. It's the description of Jesus as supreme above everything else in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. This idea of, of the nations coming to God to learn from him. I think about just the fundamental invitation of Jesus is what, follow me, live life like I do. He says in John, when I'm lifted up on the cross, I'll draw all people to myself. That sounds a whole lot like when God, when when the the temple, excuse me, the mountain of the temple of God is elevated, nations will stream to it. It sounds like almost the exact same thing. Jesus says, come to me and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you. Yoke is a, it's an image of his teaching, his way of life. It's being discipled by him. And he's saying that yoke, my yoke, it fits you well. It's easy and it's light, it's well-suited to you. Live life the way I live it. Come to me so I can teach you how to live, which is what we read about in Isaiah 2. Even this idea of, of peace on earth, the beauty pageant answer, what do you want? World peace, we haven't seen it. We're not gonna see it until the nations submit to God. I haven't seen one that has. I'm not an expert, maybe you can name one a nation that has fully surrendered and submitted to Jesus as king. Until that happens, there's not gonna be peace on earth. But one of the things we do see is Jesus showing us how to live at peace with one another. It's not on an international scale yet, and it won't be again until the nations submit. It's difficult for me to see that before his return. Maybe so, but on the, the road that we're on, I'll say it's difficult for me to see that before he returns but we can live at peace with one another. Think about what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's how you treat your enemies. You've been told to love your neighbor and to hate your enemy. Don't do that. Love your enemy. Turn the other cheek. Go the second mile. Offer your coat to someone who asks for your shirt. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. If we're following the ways of Jesus... We can live at peace with everyone else. We can't necessarily make them live at peace with us, but we can live at peace with them. We do see, I think, Isaiah 2, 1 through 5. We, we, we see the hints and the, the evidences of that. Again, not necessarily on an international scale, but personally, on an individual, on a personal scale. We see people from all over the world coming to Jesus Rejecting whatever their cultural gods are. We see people saying, Teach me how to live life the way you live life. We see people forgiving their enemies, people who've wounded them deeply, walking in forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. We see Jesus being exalted above all the so called gods on the earth. What does that begin to look like for us? How does that help us prepare for Advent? That last verse, come descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So what Isaiah is saying is, hey guys, so we, we've already gotten all this. We're God's people. We have the Old Testament. We have access to the temple. We worship, we sacrifice. We, we've got access to God. So we can look forward and see, here's what God's gonna do in the future among the nations. So let's go ahead and live in light of that now. Let's take advantage of what God's already given to us. These things that eventually will be available to all are already available to us, so let's live accordingly. Let's live in light of what God has already given to us. And that would be my encouragement to us as a body this morning. We can see where things are going. You can read the end of the book, Revelation 19, Revelation 20, Revelation 21, Revelation 22. You can see where all of history is headed. So let's live in light of that. There's things Jesus is already doing in us and through us and among us. So let's live in light of that. We know where everything is headed and so Let's take advantage of what we've already been given. Let's not wait, is what Isaiah says. Is. Don't wait. Go ahead and begin to live in light of the future because the future is certain because the God who has revealed it is faithful. So let's live in light of this certain future. We know Jesus is going to return. I don't know when, but I know he's going to. Either I die or he returns. Whichever one comes first, that's irrelevant. He's going to return. He's going to establish his kingdom fully on this earth as it is in heaven. Do you believe that? Sometimes it's hard to see. But if we believe that the one who made the promise is faithful, then we can live in light of that right now. And so let's do that. So during this Advent, during this next month, we can begin just taking our cues from Isaiah 2. What does it look like for you and for me to exalt Jesus as supreme above all the other gods in our lives? Those of you that I know, this is, you're, you're not wrestling with the gods of Hinduism, the gods of Islam, the gods of Buddhism. That's not the wrestle for us. It's the gods of our culture that are a struggle for us. It's the gods of consumerism. It's the the gods of busyness. It's the gods of social status, the gods of self-interest and self-gratification. Those are the gods that we wrestle with. What does it look like for you this month to, to, to live and to acknowledge Jesus? He's supreme over all of those other competing ideas and ideals. He's supreme I can't answer that question for you, but I would challenge you to begin to think that through. What does it look like in my life this Christmas season to acknowledge, even to say, Jesus is supreme over Santa Claus? Like, what does that mean for us? In terms of the way we, you do all of the, I'm not criticizing. What I'm saying is, exalt Jesus above all of those things this Christmas. And I, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm just going to challenge you prayerfully, ask him, Jesus, what does it look like for me to exalt you as supreme? These are all of the competing little g gods that pull on my resources, my time, my energy, my attention, that fight for that fight for priority in my heart. And in my life, in this Christmas, I'm going to acknowledge you as supreme. And that's going to be more than just a mental acknowledgement. It's going to walk out in behavior. So ask him. Don't compare. Just ask. What does that look like? What does it look like for us to say, let's live at peace with one another? We can't necessarily impact what countries are fighting what countries but I'm responsible for my own heart. Romans 12 says, as much as it depends on me, I should live at peace with everyone. It's not hundred percent. If I'm in a relationship, you have some responsibility as well. But as much as it depends on me, from me to you, I can live at peace with Mark. I can't make Mark live at peace with me, but I can live at peace with him. What, is, what would that look like for you? Think about primary relationships. Is there, is there a, a, a rupture there? Are you sideways with somebody? Are you holding a grudge? A great question that I ask myself is, is there someone in my life that if they were blessed by God, if they won the lottery, whatever it is, it's gonna be hard for me to be happy for them. And if it is, then I'm probably not in a great spot with them. If it's difficult for me to celebrate somebody else's blessing, then I'm probably, my heart's probably not in a great spot towards them. And that may be a place for you to start this Advent, a way of living out Isaiah 2, a way of acknowledging we're in these last days. Jesus is my king. He settles disputes for me. I don't have to settle them for myself. He judges between me and others, so I don't have to do that. I don't have to protect myself or project myself. I can love you even when you're not lovable. I can love you even when you don't love me back because I'm submitted to him as the king. Is there anyone in your life that that, that's a challenge for you today? Maybe somebody you had Thanksgiving dinner with and you're already dreading having Christmas dinner with them. Again, you can't fix them and that's not not the, the call. It's from you to them. You're responsible for your own heart. You're responsible for your response. You're not responsible for what they bring at you, just how you respond to them. You can do that. Blast. And this was one I thought maybe might hit us the, the most. What does it look like for us to come to Jesus and say, Teach me? When was the last time you asked Jesus to teach you something? Jesus, teach me. Show me. Show me how to live. We kind of, I think a lot of times feel like we, I kind of got it figured out. I'm not a little kid anymore. I've been doing this for a while. When was the last time you asked him to teach you? I want you to think about the area of your life that you would say right now, it's, the, it's your area of greatest need. If Jesus walked into the room right now and looked you dead in the eye and said, what do you want me to do for you? This is your answer to that question. And it's not world peace. It's, the, it's your personal answer. Where do you most want to see him working in your own sphere? And what would it look like for you to take that area and say, Jesus, teach me how to live here. Show me what it looks like to follow you in the midst of this circumstance. I certainly want you to fix it. I want you to work, change the circle. But until you do, what does it look like? So if you're struggling in your marriage, like the prayer is like, God fix it. But what if the prayer was, God, teach me how to love my wife? That changes things a little bit. Some of us, it's God fix her, which is never the right prayer. Sometimes it's God fix me, which is better. I'm wondering if better still is teach me how to love her. Show me what it looks like. Some of you have someone you love deeply who's not following Jesus. Save them, that's the prayer. And what if you add to that, God, show me how to be salt and light in their life to them. Some of you are struggling at work. God, get me a new job. You can pray that. And God, show me how to honor my boss. Some of you don't wanna pray that. The last thing you wanna do is honor your boss. You wanna run them down. or or run them over, neither one's helpful. God, show me how to be content. Those kinds of, ask Jesus, what does he wanna teach you this month? If the nations are acknowledging God's ways are better, so I'm leaving behind my own gods, who've said, here's how you live, because the way Israel's God says to live, it's just better. Some of us take that for granted. We forget how brilliant Jesus is. We do. We don't necessarily think of him as smart. Someone who can teach us and show us, here's how you live. We think of him as a savior who died for us 100%. We can think of him as a king who rules over us 100%. You think of him as a teacher, someone who can show you how to live your life. Three, you can't do all three of those things. I think it's too much for one month. Is there one that resonates the most when you think about your living in Isaiah 2? It's the the unfolding of the kingdom of God. You're living in the last days. His kingdom is being established. We live between the first and the second arrival of Jesus. We look back and celebrate the first arrival. We look with confidence towards the second. Just as confident as you are that Jesus was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, you can be equally as confident that he's gonna return. We don't know when, but it's coming. And it's sooner today than it was yesterday. And it'll be closer tomorrow than it is today. We know that. And so you're living in the last days. So what can we do as God's people? We can live accordingly. We can exalt Jesus in our lives above all other gods and recognize there are other gods. We don't always call them that, but that's what they are. They compete with him, with Jesus for our allegiance, our time, our resources. You can live at peace with other people You can do that in the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can live at peace with other people. And you can say to Jesus, I'm going to come to you. I am weary and heavy laden in this circumstance. I want to take your yoke upon me. I want you to teach me how to live well in the midst of this, what I feel like is a terrible situation. Teach me. You can, we we can ask him that and he will. This is how I want us to close. There's two things we're going to do. One, we're going to take communion. The way we take communion here is you'll come forward a row at a time, break off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. And there's gluten-free and the packaged communion. So we'll do that. One of the things for us as we prepare for Christmas is to recognize Christmas and Easter can't be separated. There is no Easter without Christmas. Christmas without Easter That doesn't change anything. If Jesus doesn't die, the kingdom's not coming. Or if it does come, we're not a part of it. And so we've got to see Christmas and Easter as interwoven. You can't separate the two. One's not more important than the other. We've got to have both. And the second thing I want you to do, and for some of you, this is going to feel maybe a bit childish, but I want you to do it anyway. On the underneath, yep, This these inside rows. There's a basket, and in those basket are gift tags. This is something we do every Christmas. I want you to grab one of those and on that gift tag, I want you to write down two things so you be thinking as this gift basket pay attention. On one side, or however you want to do it, I want you to write the thing that you're most wanting God to give you this Christmas. That's hard for some of you. I've got everything I need. I would say, think harder. What's the one thing that you, that again, it's that area, that situation in your life that's the most broken or the most desperate? The thing that if, if God would do anything, you'd say, I want you to do this. Make it personal. As much as you don't need to write your name on the gift tag. I would probably be better if you didn't. But you just write that down. What's that thing? It can be a physical need and maybe healing. It can be... Something with work, it can be something with your family, it can be direction, it can be something maybe a bit more intangible, joy or peace, I don't know. Some relationship that's ruptured. And we, we have a, a group that prays on Tuesday morning and every single one of you is invited to come at 7 o'clock in the morning. And what, we'll, what we're going to do is pray for these tags for the next month. And we're just going to trust that the Lord's going to work in these circumstances. And again, you're not, your name's not going to be on it, so nobody's going to know. And the other thing I want you to put on that card or that tag is the person that you'll be praying for this month. Somebody who you love, who you would say, they really need Jesus right now. And you don't need to give their first and their last. You, you, can, you can just write a first name or you can just write their relationship to you. You know, my, my mom. Again, we won't know who it is and it's okay. God knows. We don't want to do anything that's going to cause somebody to be embarrassed or feel called out. And this is the person that you're going to be praying for. Christmas Eve is typically a service that people go to who don't necessarily come to church. That may be here. That may be some other church. It doesn't matter. But typically, during the Christmas season, people are a bit more open to the gospel. We just want to acknowledge that and recognize that and be praying that God would speak and that God would draw people, as Jesus said, he would draw people to himself, these ones that you're praying for. So i want to write those things on those gift tags. Tana, will you come grab these baskets and put one on the end of each? Oh, you got a broken arm, sorry. It's not that heavy. One there and one there. On the chair. Perfect. That way nobody has to bend over. All right, so when you come forward, you're gonna take that gift tag and you're gonna drop it in that basket. Then you're gonna take communion, got it? We'll have prayer teams up here. We'll pray with you about anything that you have going on. You may, I don't know how you feel. Matt mentioned some of you still have kind of a Thanksgiving hangover and it's not from the food. And it's just, no, I don't mean, sorry. (laughs) I didn't mean that. I meant relationally or spiritually. So, get prayer <laughs> if, if that's you. You may, or you know, again, kind of thinking about moving into Christmas. Again, moving into Christmas, we we just we want to be aware, and we want to be prepared, and we want to re- expect, and we want to hope. We want to experience peace, and we want to experience joy. All of the things that God longs to do in our life during this season, we wanna be ready for those things. And so this first Sunday of Advent, let's, let's do that. You can kneel if you wanna kneel. We'll leave, you, I'll maybe put a hand on your shoulder but I won't, I won't talk to you. You can get prayer here from these teams. Um, and Bo, you can come on back and we'll worship along with him. So I'm gonna say a prayer. If you're helping with communion or ministry, if you come forward, get in your spots if you would. And y'all y'all pray with me. Jesus, we're so grateful that you're the king. We really are. When I think about your omnipotence, you are all powerful and I think about what if you weren't good? What if you didn't love? What if you weren't patient? What if you weren't merciful? As God, you're powerful, all-powerful. What if your character was different? We're so grateful that it's not. So as we enter into this Advent and Christmas season, we want to do so in humility and in gratitude that you, the God of the universe, was willing to become a zygote and a fetus and a baby and experience all of what it is to be human in order to make a way for us experience what it is to be called sons and daughters of God I pray as we take communion that we would do so with hearts that are expectant we would see this bread and this juice as in a sense not in a crass way but as a a down payment on your return we know that you came once and so we're confident that you're going to come again and we want to live in light of that So would you give us grace, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill each heart in this room, children and students and adults, that you would give us grace to exalt you, Jesus, above all things, that you would give us grace as much as it depends upon us to live at peace with everyone, and that you would give us grace in the midst of areas of difficulty, of stress, of strife, of confusion and pain, to navigate those circumstances as you would to learn from you in the midst of that. So would you come now, would you meet with us, would you work in us, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week.